You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Okay, if you have not heard about Cash App, you're going to love me. You want more from all these free apps used for just free and fast money transfers, right? Well, I've got the hookup for you. The Cash App. The Cash App card is a free Visa debit card that lets you use your Cash App balance to pay online and in stores. It's also the only way to get Boost. Now, let me tell you about Boost because it's exclusive to Cash App. Boosts are reusable instant discounts that work at places you actually go to, everywhere from Starbucks to Walmart to even the PlayStation Network store. You can do so much more than buy and save money with this. You can even purchase shares of stock in companies you love by investing as little as $1. Banking is also made easy. With Cash App, you can directly deposit paychecks, tax returns, and more to your Cash App balance using the unique account and routing numbers. And if you don't think things can get any cooler, it does by allowing you to buy and sell Bitcoin, the money of the future. Selling and receiving money on Cash App is as easy as entering a phone number, using another user's name, or simply scanning a QR code. Hit the special link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. That is, use that link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. So go on, go ahead and hit that link in the show notes and get set up with Cash App today. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Awesome. Well, everything worked out. The internet is alive. Doug, thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. I've got to ask, what came first for you, journalism or comic books? Because typically you see people really take an interest in both things, but then they dive into one completely and abandon the other. You have been able to really do both the last couple of years. I mean, the, you know, for most of your career and over the last couple of years, I know that you were working on your graphic novel, Soul Finder, which is coming out with a sequel in the upcoming future. How did all this kind of start? Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. So long story short, I mean, I've, I've loved comics since I was a little kid. I always tell people that my, my oldest brother would put me on this ugly green chair when I was a kid and I'd basically sit on his lap and and he would read Spider-Man comics to me. And then for most of my life, even like, I would, I would say like around middle school, I got into creative writing. I was in a program where they would bus a couple kids from the middle school to the high school for a, for a writing program. And then I continued that into high school um, and then after I got out of the military and I was in, uh, I went to the university of Southern California. I was in, uh, I was an English major and I was in all sorts of creative writing classes. So fiction has always been my love, but along the line for various reasons, I ended up writing and reporting and interviewing people with, uh, the Washington times. But again, I was always drawn back to comic books and it was something that I reviewed comic books in my spare time. Uh, and then at some point in time, meeting other people, other artists, other colorists, everything sort of just came together with Soul Finder Demons Match. That's awesome. I, I know that, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I think it's fair to say that almost every journalist out there has had the idea of writing a book or a screenplay at one point. Um, you know, I've met a few other folks that want to go ahead and write comics, but it always seems like they're they're always they're always working on it 
although there's not a lot of progress being made. And for some folks, I, I learned this while uh, writing and self-publishing both of my uh, books. My first one was a bestseller. My second one did all right uh, sales-wise before the pandemic decided to kill that situation. But um, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize that there are options out there, that you don't need to go ahead and wait for somebody to give you permission to publish a book or give you permission to go ahead and try and get that screenplay out there. With comics, it's really something that a lot more people are doing so now, but it's always been really part of comic book culture. Uh, Dark Horse Comics, Image, those were just independent uh groups that were founded by artists and writers that wanted to go out and really do their own thing. So when you decided to go with Soulfinder, did you want to go ahead and publish it yourself? Or was it something that you decided, hey, you know, I might throw it around to these different places, but ultimately I want to have creative control over what I do? Well, ideally, I mean, the little kid inside of me always wanted to be inside a comic book shop. And so you have your own comic book next to Spider-Man or literally right Spider-Man. That's like the dream when you're a kid or Captain America or Iron Man or any of those. Um, so I was very open to the idea of getting into a comic shop. But if you get with a distributor, they're going to want to take a cut and all it gets into all that sort of stuff. But um my artist, Timothy Lim, he has a relationship with Antarctic Press, which is like an uh, independent publisher based in, in Texas. So I was going to essentially say like, hey, if you, if you guys want to uh, publish this under an AP imprint, fine, go with it. And if they didn't, then I was like, well, I don't care. Then I don't need to give them a cut of anything. I could just sell it direct to my customers that I've cultivated on YouTube and Twitter and all these different social media platforms. So it's a win-win for me. And then on a long enough timeline, you could still get into comic shops. So uh, this past weekend, uh, a local comic shop here in Sparks, Nevada, where I am, they ordered copies of Soulfinder. Uh, the guy was looking at it. I have a Dave Dorman cover. Anyone who's been into comics a long time, they know Dave Dorman did a lot of the Star Wars stuff in the, in the 90s. It's basically iconic in that sense. And uh, so we just ordered them. So it's one of those things where, yeah, it'd be nice if Image picked it up or, or something like that, but I'm not going to get bent out of shape if, if it doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of freedom that you get owning your owning your creation outright that a lot of people miss once they typically go with one of these publishers. And uh, I mean, in terms of writing, that was one thing that I wanted to maintain. It was. I, I wanted to make sure that what's in my manuscript, while I'll definitely hire out editors to go ahead and give me their opinion on things, and I might change some things here and there between now and publishing, ultimately, I want to make sure that what's in my book is what readers are going to read. And I know more than enough people that, you know, while they're happy that they may have gone with like a regnery or a uh, Penguin House, or I mean, Penguin Books, or Random House, or whatever, they, they always say that they had to sacrifice a lot of their editorial control in the process. And that's just something I wasn't willing to do. But, you know, you mentioned that a lot of, a lot of people are worried that if they go the independent route, they might not be in stores. I mean, you just brought up the fact that a comic book store is willing to go ahead and pick up your stuff. My, uh, 
my second book right now. And like the first one, it's in stores throughout Northern Virginia and Washington, DC. Is it across the country? No, but I, I know at least a dozen bookstores where I can go and see my book on the shelf. And it gives me that pride as a writer. So even though I had to do a little bit more work, even though it's not everywhere at the same time, it's not like it wasn't something I couldn't do. And I think a lot of people are intimidated by the process of it itself. What were some of the challenges you faced as you were, you know, producing and creating your comic? So probably the hardest thing for people, especially if they want to get into comic books, is finding an artist that you could rely on. Uh, And I I mean, making comics is kind of pricey. If you actually want to put out a good product and you want to put it out on time, a lot of people, they don't crunch the numbers beforehand and then they get into it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh boy, this is getting really expensive in terms of the printing costs, paying the artist, paying the colorist, paying the letter. The letter, uh, if you hire someone to do the distribution for you, if you get into international, all that stuff starts to add up. But if you're a writer, you have to convince an artist to believe in your vision and your story. And so that's, that's difficult for a lot of people that I talked to, but I lucked out in that my artist, we actually just became friends due to we're of the same, uh, we're both practicing Catholics and we're both uh, generally conservative guys. So we, we actually struck up a friendship on those sorts of issues. And then it just sort of naturally led into working together on a comic book. So I was very blessed in that, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, the the expenses alone, I think that's one of the biggest barriers for a lot of people because, you know, once you decide that this is the route you want to go, it becomes a very daunting challenge for people. I, I, I tell people this quite often, but, you know, one of the things I had to do when I decided that for my first book, I was going to go ahead and self-publish it, I took a part-time job as a security guard. So I was a security guard by night and all that money was going straight into producing my first book. And by day, I was still uh, a freelance reporter. I was reporting as the DC correspondent for a few websites out in California. So it's like I had my job to pay my bills and I had to take on a completely separate job, which really sucked. I mean, on my first day, a couple of kids actually lit a dumpster on fire. So when people say that so they had a job that was a dumpster fire, I can literally <laughs> say that that job was a literal and figurative dumpster fire. But I mean, that was that was one of those things I had to do. And I was making really shit money doing both. But you know, actually getting to see my book come out and I was actually able to hire a publicist with it. Uh, she worked uh, her heart out, did a great job. Eventually I made the money back. That's one thing that a lot of people, you know, don't get to say. So I was really happy about that. So now I get that royalty check from Amazon and I'm, I'm pretty fulfilled as is. But um, I mean, it's just one of those things that when you realize that this is what you want to do, it, it's the actual you know, acting upon it, which is where a lot of people just don't pull through. So I'm, I'm wondering when you finally actually got to see and hold your comic, smell it even, what, what was that feeling like knowing that you actually did it and now you can actually get it in front of readers? Yeah, I mean, there certainly was a, a cathartic release at some point in time where you put so much time and effort into it. Like you said, you, you had your normal job and then you have a night job and you're like finding a way to make this dream a reality. And so with the comic book, then it's like you have this, you know, the page layouts 
and then the pencils and then the inks and then the, the color work and then the lettering comes on and then you got to get it printed and then you have issues with the printer. So for like Soul Finder on our cover, there was like a gold foil sort of issue where we were about to uh, go out and, and mail everything and like right towards the end there was like a printer snafu and the gold foil was coming off on the back you know as they were um printing together it was like coming off and they had to redo everything so it's like all the way up until the very last step you're never in the clear and then so finally we we gave enough leeway for those sorts of issues to happen so we would still publish on time but it, just to finally get it and to know how much goes into it's, I was telling my artist, Timothy Lim, it's like a, a minor miracle that any sort of collaborative project actually comes to fruition. And this is just a comic. Like, imagine a movie with the size of the cast and all the extras and the sound guys. It's uh, it's very a uh, humbling experience. No, absolutely. And I mean, with... With something like this, because you're involved in almost every process of it, um, I mean, it it brings on a type of stress that a lot of people who have gone more mainstream, they, they understand it, but unless they've actually had to live it, they don't really feel a lot of the stress that really is part of it. And I mean, for me, I, I, I look at my first book and I, I know all the mistakes. There are some mm. things that people, <laughs> if they really looked into it, they know, ah, this, this could be better. Oh, why, why is this there? Whether it's the print or the feeling of the book, there's always something. But I mean, luckily I was able to go ahead and learn how to do better for my second book because I had already made the mistakes. But I mean, it, it only motivated me to want to do more. But um, enough about the process. I mean, th- this is what I'm really excited to talk about. You sent me the first soul finder several months ago and right off the bat when i learned what the comic was about i i was i was already hooked before you sent it to me growing up um you know i and we've talked about this enough uh chatting back and forth i i'm as big as a nerd as they come i mean right now around my studio i've got an avengers endgame poster and i've got a signed venom lithograph right next to me and an adam west statue so that's that's enough for most people to see but i i've always been drawn to really two things one is the paranormal and the supernatural and the other was you know seeing that in comics so um you know uh uh hellstrom son of satan a lot of uh john constantine hellblazer that was what i read a lot of especially my first year in the army um i mean i just ate that stuff up constantly so for people that don't know about soul finder can you kind of give them a quick synopsis of what the story's about Sure. Long story short, it's about combat veterans that be, that get out, become priests and exorcists, and then they're recruited into a major order of exorcists called soul finders. And essentially, the only way that you could get recruited is you have to have seen the horrors of war and come out with your faith intact, because the level of evil that they're taking on is... Uh, it's not even something that most priests or other exorcists can and fathom. It's just like a, a level above that. Um, and so having gone through war and maybe even been physically scarred, like uh, the main character in this book, Father Redder, is like literally scarred. He doesn't even have his left leg. He's like a partial amputee. Um, 
but he still has his faith in God. So he's the guy that they're, they're going to recruit for this. And this is the t- tale of his essentially origin story. I, I mean, it's when I was reading it, I, you know, for a lot of people, they, they can connect to certain characters for this one. It, it really struck a chord with me because I mean, for one, it's a comic. So of course I'm going to really love it immediately. But I mean, just in terms of the characters, I, I, I don't often talk about it because I don't really feel like many people are interested, but I mean, I was, I was baptized Catholic as a, as a child. And around the time that I hit high school, I was, I was pretty much an atheist. Um, it wasn't until I joined the military and I had this chaplain, uh, chaplain Randall, who just completely took an interest in me and was willing to, uh, you know, sit down with me as I was going through some rather difficult times and not only be there as a, as a fellow soldier and as a leader, but also as a spiritual mentor, he he really helped me, you know, understand my worldview and develop my faith. And since then, I mean, my, my life hasn't been the same, but ultimately it's been better for that. But through that, I mean, I, I had, you know, I, I had my doubts about certain things. It wasn't really until I got into the paranormal with my brother. We actually formed our own paranormal investigation team called Argos Paranormal. And eventually we started our uh, television series, The Witching Hour, which folks, you can go ahead and find more about that on argosparanormal.com. Season two is out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I mean, experiencing that side of the world, it, it, it solidified a lot of things for me. Uh, I am just curious, was this all just something you were interested in or what's your personal take on the topics discussed in the comic? Because I mean, for a lot of, a, a lot of Catholics that I know, when I talk to them about, you know, the paranormal and of su- supernatural phenomenon, they, I mean, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. Ironically, when it comes to the existence of demons and things like that, of course, we, we see it all over the place in pop culture. But when you actually talk to a lot of Catholics and other Christians, they, they don't really seem to see it as a thing. So what's, what's kind of like your own personal relationship with the topics discussed in the story? Yeah, so well, in terms of supernatural, I've personally had a lot of supernatural things happen to me over the course of my life. So even at a young age, uh, I believe that I was essentially saved by my guardian angel. I should have been hit by a car and there was something like a physical force that essentially grabbed me and stopped me because I didn't see the car, but I remember being physically like, it just felt like something just pulled me uh, and stopped me and uh, where I would have been hit by this car. So at a young age, I essentially determined, I was like, that had to have been my guardian angel. Guardian oh, angels are real. Crazy. Um, and so uh, since that time, I was, I've always uh, been into angels. When I went, went into the military, my mom gave me a St. Michael uh, pendant uh, that I always had with me all the time. So I've always loved St. Michael. And uh, I did dr- drift away a little bit in, in some respects from my faith when I was uh, in the military, but not completely, if that makes sense. So uh, I wasn't attending mass on a regular basis by any means, but I was still, you know, saying prayers at night. Um, but so there's always been that supernatural element to it. And then just through some, um, we'll just say some issues with some family members. 
I don't, I don't, I, I got to be careful how I, I say this, but uh, there are some individuals that I believe that have been acted on by demons. And so that also prompted me to sort of look into um, exorcisms in the, in the topic in general. Um, and so at some point in time, I just sort of became, I don't want to say an expert by any means, but uh, in, in terms of my group of friends, I, I suppose that I know a lot more about exorcists than, than a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those topics that uh, unless you study it for years and years and years, it's it, it's something that where you're always going to find new information about. When I first started, um, you know, investigating the paranormal, I, I initially started as a skeptic. Uh, I was doing an indie docu series called Haunted Republic. It was a spinoff of an old podcast I had, and really, it was one of those things where I was doing it just so I could disprove things and Mm -hmm. documented through the show. um, You know, I I had a change in worldview. You, you, you can't say that when things are happening that you can't find a logical explanation for that. You're not willing to at least be open-minded. And over the years, I've definitely had more of an evolution on that. Um, I I don't know if you've ever read his book, um, but Ralph Sarchi was a a New York police department uh, officer and, uh, in his book, Deliver Us From Evil, he basically talks about how he went from a skeptic to being one of the first non-ordained uh, demonologists after that of um, Ed, Ed Warren, of uh, the Ed and Lorraine Warren, The Conjuring fame. Ed Warren was probably, I think he was the first non-ordained um, exorcist by the Catholic Church. And hearing stories like that, really gave me an insight because here you have people who, I mean, they, they do, they have a very dangerous job. Their reputation really does. I mean, it it might be affected by the stuff they're doing, but they're willing to go out and speak about it. And in your book, in your comic, even though it's a fictional story, there were a lot of things in there that I was able to pick up as, Oh my God, he did his homework on some of this. Yeah, one of the coolest things about the book is afterwards, I was actually contacted by multiple priests and a deacon, and they were like, hey, I was really surprised. This is like rooted in actual, the theology behind it is is very, it's sound. It's it's obviously fiction and certain things you play up and you, you build upon uh, the faith, but the actual, you're not seeing anything uh, heretical at all. And so I was like, yeah, no, I'm a practicing Catholic. So is my artist. And I went to two other guys that are Catholic. And I was like, can you just make sure everything is sound here uh, before? I don't want to publish this and then have priests chewing me out afterwards. And so that that was pretty cool to actually get emails from priests that were happy. And they're like, can I order some for Christmas presents? And I was like, (laughs) sure, yeah, I'll just send them to you for free. So my policy is if a priest or a deacon wants extra copies, then they, they get them for free. Oh, that's, that's awesome. It's, um, it's one of those things where you you really have to find this balance between being honest to the sources of which you're getting a lot of this inspiration and, um, you know, knowledge from, but also writing and portraying the story in a way, which is also entertaining. What was it kind of like balancing between that line between, I want to be faithful to everything that's inspiring what I'm writing about. But at the same time, I also want to just write a good comic book. 
Right. So first and foremost, especially with my history in terms of my criticism of the mainstream industry in Marvel and DC, I just wanted to tell a really fun, solid story. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't beating anyone over the head and saying like, if you're not a Catholic, then you're a bad person or that sort of thing. And so it was just, okay, how do I tell a tale that's sort of like Indiana Jones has a lot of, uh, it's, it's got these religious elements in it and there's stuff with the Catholic church and, but it's, again, it builds this fictional world on top of all of it. That's actually, there's a reality to it. And so um, I wanted to, how do I say this? I guess I should go to one of the people that promoted it the most is actually an atheist. He has a really huge YouTube channel. He goes by just some guy. And he really, really liked the book a lot. And he brought in thousands of dollars worth of sales. And I was like, that is so cool that an atheist is like, no, this is a really good book. Yeah, he's a Catholic dude. But at no point in time did I feel as though he was weirdly preaching to me at all. It was just a good story. I I think it's really important that you note that because, I mean, for a lot of, uh, I'll say for a lot of like conservative entertainment efforts, they've never really been that good. And one example I bring up is Atlas Shrugged. And, you know, for more politically wise people, yeah, they're objectivists. Yeah, it goes into a lot of things. But basically, you know, during the 2012 election, primarily conservatives really adopted Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand as their go-to, despite some of Paul Ryan's remarks. But anyway, like the Atlas Shrugged film series, and this is coming as somebody who is a fan of The Fountainhead, has read Atlas Shrugged cover to cover at least twice in 10 years. Uh, the, The films were terrible and should have never, ever seen an audience. And this is also some of my criticisms of the Christian film industry. I've had uh, Dallas Jenkins, his father, um, Jerry Jenkins, wrote the Left Behind series. I loved the Left Behind series as a, as a kid and a teenager. I still think it's a great series. But the Left Behind films with uh, Kurt Cameron and even the recent one of Nick Cage were, were terrible. It, it seems like for a lot of openly and strongly Christian conservative creators, a lot of their, a lot of their creations are really just preachy and not good at all. (laughs) Yeah, no. And and that gets into some awkward situations. And it did for me when I was uh, essentially marketing the book and, and get hearing back from people, there's a certain, religious population where they just want to preach to the choir and it's sort of i don't want to say it's like joel olstein-ish or whatever like that that prosperity gospels guy is but it's it's like this super feel goody and we're patting ourselves on the back you're afraid to criticize it because if you criticize them they might think you're criticizing their faith or something yeah and it's really strange and i actually got one email from somebody and uh, th- they were like, well, you know, I saw some of your, uh, your Indiegogo page and you were showing a little bit of skin there. Uh, I don't know if this is for, is this like, can I read this? And he was referencing <laughs> the second page. Oh, the hot librarians? There's the librarian looking, yeah, her name is Charlotte. And <laughs> it, I, 
we don't have the the images up now, but if you saw a picture of her, she's wearing a very conservative outfit, but you could see her forearms. And he was essentially asking me if I had a rated G story on exorcists. <laughs> and I was just like, well, you know, if, if showing forearms is a little too much for you, then I, I, I think this might not be your cup of tea. Don't read the next couple pages. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's like, I'm trying to reach out to people that are agnostics, that are atheists as well. And I've heard from people where they were just like, yeah, I looked into this book and some, and I, I saw that, oh, you are actually telling serious, very real Latin prayers of deliverance. And the, like I said, the theology is actually real. So for people that they only wanted to be, see giant pipe, you know, black Python demons go up against a priest that's fine. But then people that actually were kind of, it piqued their interest in terms of, okay, well, let me look, this is a side of the Catholic faith that I've never really seen before. Is this real? And they were in some ways rewarded by going to Google and looking up and seeing like, no, no, this guy actually, like you said, did his homework. Yeah. I mean, your, your comic really hit both sides of me because as a fan, like, I, I know that there's nothing biblically sound in Hellblazer, but I love John Constantine. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be entertained. But as somebody that's also, you know, very much knowledgeable about the paranormal and the occult and certain aspects of demonology, I, I was just eating it up as well. And I mean, you, you hit on something important. You want this to be something that will be entertaining and informative to both size of the audience that's why with um with with my show the witching hour um it it was very hard for me towards the beginning of my you know of my i call it my second job because it really took up it it took up more than enough time and money to still be a hobby but really I, i find that what i do as a paranormal paranormal investigator is important especially when i do a lot of private home investigations for people to see what's actually going on and i when I started, I was just out of Liberty University. So I know that people, when they looked at me, they were going to come to one presupposition or another just based off a little bit of my background. Mm -hmm. But I think through the show, what I tried to do was I really tried to balance that line between am I really showing people the evidence and being objective about it or am I pontificating too much? And not many people know this, but one of the um, other cast members of the show Brian Sujanin, uh, when he first started, I mean, he he was a very strong atheist. He just wanted to check it out and see what was going on. And uh, Brian has since shifted to being more agnostic, more open to, you know, things around the world being not what they seem to be, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's very open-minded to it. And I would have never been able to talk to him about things like this if he didn't first just want to get into it for the adventure and the rush of it. So, you know, him beginning to look more into where he stands on certain issues of faith and spirituality that evolved because he had the initial interest. He, he wanted to jump in for the fun of it. And then he stayed in because he got more serious of it. Yeah. It's interesting to me. It's one of those things where where the supernatural keeps happening to people that they don't have any sort of mental illnesses. They have zero reason to lie. They lead productive lives. Uh, they have happy families. 
And yet you hear people that have these supernatural experiences. And so the idea to me that you would just be like, no, you're just, uh, you're just hallucinating. And it's just like, no, at some point in time, you would think that like objective observers would be like, okay, well, you know, I've known Doug for 15 years and he's a completely rational, very logical man. And I know that he's of sound mind. So when he tells me of the supernatural experience, I could either just ignore it completely or, or say like, hmm, maybe I should look into this a little bit. Absolutely. And I mean, I thought, I thought continuing to do my show while also working in the newsroom would cause some problems. But I mean, people, people see how I do things. They know who I am as a person and as a professional. And whether it's folks at the Washington Times or even other people I've met who are at NPR, CNN even, I've never met somebody that was openly hostile to that other side of my life. If anything, even whether you were a staunch Catholic or a staunch atheist, everyone has come to me when they've wanted to talk about this. And there's always that one story. They're like, I don't know how I feel about this, but let me tell you about this one time. Almost everybody has that one time because ultimately, as I believe, we live in a world which is beyond the physical. And there are going to be things that are sometimes unexplainable. Yeah. And it's funny because again, after having, uh, release soul finder i'll randomly so like i was uh i was in the philippines earlier this year and i had somebody come up to me who had heard about the book and she's just like so do you really believe this demon stuff and i was like yes i'm a i'm a i'm a practicing catholic and she's like "Hmm." and then of course it springboards into like okay well tell me more and then you explain yourself and if you have done any sort of research and you and you take the subject seriously then you could kind of see the wheels turning in their head like oh, okay, this guy isn't crazy. He's not some sort of, I don't know, just like getting high in the in the desert in New Mexico and looking for aliens or something like that. It's like, no, he, he actually knows what he's talking about and this makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the one, I, I will say, if there's a generalized group of people where I have not necessarily received criticism because overwhelmingly over the past five years I've been doing this and especially when the show... Uh, started hitting different networks along the East Coast. Um, the the one group that has given me some pushback are people that, frankly, I, I went I went to Liberty University with, and for people that have had their head under a rock, I mean, Liberty University is the largest evangelical Christian school in the world, and it it is somewhat funny because I don't necessarily see this amongst my friends who are actually practicing Catholics, not the ones that I would consider culturally Catholic if that makes sense. Right. But, you know, there, there seems to be really kind of a divorce between the idea of supernatural and paranormal activity being real, as in we can actually see it, we can experience it, we believe it's something that's still occurring. And, well, that stuff just happened in the Bible. Because yeah, my, yeah. my thing is this, I, sorry to cut you off, like if you... If you believe in the Bible, if you believe that's true, you have to believe that what people are saying <laughs> experienced was true to them. Right. And it, actually in Soul Finder, there's the Bishop, Bishop Beige. And that is basically my sort of knock on quote unquote beige Catholicism. So Bishop Barron, 
talks about when he was growing up, there were these ugly, gross churches where everything was beige. And like, you couldn't even tell that it was basically a Catholic church. Uh, it was just like late 70s, early 80s. And you have these bishops that are bas- basically like they're heretics. And or, or you, you'll meet these random priests and they literally, they'll, they they will say like the devil's a metaphor <laughs> and strange things like that. And like that the Eucharist is... Yeah, like Eucharist is just, it's just, a, that's just a symbol. It's like, no, you're not Catholic. Like, why are you even <laughs> in the Catholic church right now? Like, this is, this is freaking me out. And so like the person who's actually practicing the faith as it has historically been practiced is, is sometimes, at least these days, actually seen as a weirdo. It, it It's just so... It's so odd, especially I I can name like a dozen people who will straight up tell you, yeah, hell's not real. The devil's not real. (laughs) It's like that, that alone, like, okay, we can argue about whether or not when you're participating in communion, whether or not the, the bread and wine, or if you're a Methodist, like I was uh, bread and grape juice is actually the, body and blood of Christ. We can have an argument about that. And I won't say that you're teaching something that's, or believing something that's just not biblical at all. When you start telling me stuff like the devil's not real, hell's not real. (laughs) You've got a giant effing problem. Yeah. And it will. And then that gets into conversations where you're like, the devil has worked his way into the church because if you could take out that gets into soul finder as well. If you could take out the shepherd then the flock becomes easy pickings. And so they want to go after the priests. They want to go after, in this book particularly, they want to go after the soul finders. They want to destroy uh, Patrick Redder's faith because if they could take him off the spiritual chessboard, then they, they have uh, an open, it's like open season on souls. It's, it, it's just the, the timing of when I read Soul Finder and even with a lot of stuff going on now, I mean, I've had to really look into my faith and things I believe. And I mean, by the time I think when uh, when you sent sent a copy for me to read around that time, that's when the Methodist Church and I, I've been I've been a practicing Methodist since I was eighteen until very recently. Like around that time, that's when the Methodist Church said we're just gonna split up. So now we're gonna be the divorced Methodist Church. So I had a lot of people I know that were Methodists on both the conservative and more progressive side ask, you know, what are you going to do now? And, you know, for them, I said, well, I think I need to go back to, you know, understanding really where we stand on theology and stuff. And since then I've been, I, I've been more so involved in the Anglican tradition, the Anglican Catholic tradition. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, I mean, if you think about it, John Wesley, the man that founded the Methodist movement, he never stopped being an Anglican minister. So maybe he was onto something, but it's understanding this, this part of Christianity and it's understanding this part of our history and why we believe what we believe, which is important. I I'm not Catholic for reasons, which would be an entire episode's worth of stuff. I don't want to <laughs> get too far off, but at the same time, it's like, there's a reason why I often didn't fit in with certain crowds at Liberty university. It's because tradition does matter when we do communion and you know, we're about to take it. That is at least to me, the literal blood and body of Christ. 
Why? Well, it was real to everyone else that took communion in the New Testament. Why wouldn't it be real to me? Why is it less real? Because Jesus Christ is not in a physical form in front of me. That's one thing where they're like, man, that, that just doesn't happen. I'm like, really? Then why take communion? If it's just ceremonial, if it's just <laughs> that, why the hell are we still doing it? Because other than that, it's a waste of time. These things matter more so than just because we can do it. We should do it to remember. That's why for a lot of evangelical criticisms of you know, Catholicism specifically, um, they're like, oh, wh- why, why are there candles? Why are there scents? Why is there so much emphasis on artwork and all this other stuff? It's because, well, you know, we've always been a visual tradition. This stuff matters. Remember, when, when the church was being founded, most people couldn't read. So this stuff kind of matters to them so they understand it, and it should matter to us now. And, and that's the one thing that, I mean, in terms of understanding very serious topics like demons, for example, you, if you look into this stuff without being grounded in your faith, it's going to take you on a freaking roller coaster. Yeah, and the problem with a lot of people, like I said, like this woman that just approaches me and she's like, you know, do you really believe in this stuff? So I, I don't want to necessarily liken it to calculus, but with anything, with faith, the Bible, it's like you have people that want you to boil down the entire faith into like a tweet, 140 characters or whatever the heck it is like these days. And you're just like, okay, well, if you have no f- like foundation and now you're asking me to break down d- different demonic activity for you in terms of obsession and possession and all these different ways that demons can act upon the physical world and what it actually means and how you've been led astray by Hollywood movies. And it's not usually like 99% of the time, it's not like Hollywood portrays it. Um, You're going to have a tough time because they're just like, all right, break it down for me in 60 seconds or less. And you're just like, okay, well, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'll try my best. Absolutely. And I mean, when it comes to this, to this topic specifically, it's, it's one of those things like many things that have been somewhat perverted by popular culture. I mean, as somebody who is a staunch Hellblazer fan, John Constantine all the way, Justice League Dark, I mean, love all that stuff there. I, I can't tell people if they ask about demons. Well, did, did you ever see a Constantine with Keanu Reeves, did you ever see The Exorcist? Because then at that point, that that itself is not truthful. Um, when I, I think I asked you this a while ago, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean one of one of the sources you went to to really try and understand demonology was uh uh Father Malachi Martin's book. Oh yeah, I love it. What what uh for, for people that don't know, who is Malachi Martin and what what was his what was his thing, basically? So he wrote Hostage to the De- Devil, and essentially that was an examination of, I want to say, I can't remember if it was like five or seven. There was a, a small number of uh, different individuals that are possessed in different ways. And the book itself is a monster. It was turned into a documentary, but don't see that. I heard it was really bad. It's, I, I've seen it. it. It is not... Okay, if you're somewhat interested in this stuff and you want to start somewhere, don't start there. <laughs> Get <laughs> yeah, the book the, instead. The book, the book breaks it down in a way where 
so how do I say this? I guess I'll, I'll liken it to Soul Finder. So there's a demon or demons in Soul Finder called the Limax. It's like this little slug sort of thing. And what I wanted to portray with the Limax is that possession is not something that you just snap your fingers and somebody is possessed. This is something that happens bit by bit. Uh, it, it happens in very small increments when you tell a little lie, you tell another little lie, you tell another little lie. And slowly over the course of time, your will becomes aligned with <laughs> the, the, the father of lies, <laughs> the prince of lies. And so until essentially your entire being is just uh, essentially evil and you've given yourself up to the devil. It's to, and so most people just, they read comic books or they see movies and a demon just jumps from body to body or, or whatnot. And it's like a light switch. And it's like, no, it's not like that. It's, it's much more uh, methodical. And it, when you're dealing with demons that are eternal creatures that are, their intelligence is far beyond any human's intelligent, intelligence. They're going to uh, find very subtle ways to bring you into alignment with their with their mode of thinking and being. And it is it's it's a if you read that book, you're in for something completely else, people. Uh, Ralph Sarchi in uh, Deliver Us from Evil, he he knew uh, Father Martin, and uh, he was he was one of the people that was instrumental in him eventually becoming a demonologist. But um, it, it's one of those things where I I really wish more people who are Christian would try and understand that because very much so I think we've divorced ourselves as a community, both Catholic and evangelical and whatever strain you want to go ahead and throw out there. We, I think a lot of us in the United States have really drifted from that part of ourselves. And I mean, I, I know that your intent for the comic was not necessarily to try and preach and convert people, but I, I've always sat, I've always found two things. One for me as for me as an individual, I've always found that comedy is the most disarming thing. I always try and make people laugh. I always try and do that because I think that if I can make them laugh, they're more open to what I'm going to say. But even just entertainment itself, um, that is the one thing that will always open bridges of communication between people who are completely different. And I really do believe that with Soul Finder, I mean, it, it really hits on both those things. If you're if you're just looking for a good supernatural comic about a guy who's a badass who's going to fight demons, you're going to get it here. But if you're also somebody who's really into the stuff like we are, you're going to find so much in there that you probably didn't even know before you got into it. So for people that are more interested in learning about this stuff, you give them both at the same time. And that's where you succeeded, where a lot of people really don't. I've, I've always sort of loved Christopher Nolan's movies and that I think that he does this really good job of writing scripts with his brother where it works on like a spectrum where, again, if you just want to see the action, you'll get the action. But if you want to think about it on a more cerebral level, then you have that. So it's like you got the popcorn movie, but then his, even his action movies have a little like indie to it. But then he's also working on another sort of spectrum where People that have an intelligence will just say, I'm, you know, on the lower end of the intelligence spectrum, like 90, they'll leave the theater and they'll be happy. But then somebody who maybe you could get up into like the 130s or 140s, maybe they'll actually find something that they enjoy as well. And so 
I wanted to write something that just had these different layers to it. And however deep somebody wants to drill down into it, uh, they would be satisfied. Absolutely. Well, Doug, we, we've covered a lot today, but here's the most important thing that people want to know before I let you go. How can they get their hands on the, on the first issue of Soul Finder? And I know you've got the second one, the sequel coming up very soon. Yeah, the, the art is basically done. And then the, for the second one, which is called uh, Black Tide, and then it'll be going to our colorist soon. So that, hopefully that'll be out later this year. But if they wanted Soulfinder Demons Match, they could either email me at douglasernst at douglasernst.blog. That's douglasernst at douglasernst.blog. Or in the very near future, I guess you'll be the first person that I'll tell this to. Uh, there's what's called Iconic Comics, which is run by my, my artist's friend, Johnny, who normally puts on Bell, Com- Bell County Comic Con in Texas. Uh, the pandemic threw that off this year. But anyway, he's got Iconic Comics. And in the very near future, Demons Match will be offered on their website. Oh, that's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for everything you have going on. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and include everything that Doug mentioned in the show notes. Uh, Before you go, where can people, you know, reach out? Where can they follow your work and everything else you do? Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. So it's just Douglas Ernst on Twitter and it's verified. So you know, it's me. There's not anyone faking (laughs) uh, my account, which was a worry in the past. And then on YouTube, it's just Douglas Ernst. uh, And on Instagram, it's just Douglas Ernst as well. Well, sir, it's been such a pleasure to finally get to pick your brain about all of this stuff. And I'm so excited for everything that you've got coming down the pipe. Thank you again for joining the program. Thanks, man. Folks, This is one of those things where I get to talk about everything I love at the same time. Comics, religion, pop culture, demons, all thrown into one thing. So I highly recommend you check this out if you're like me and you fit that odd end of the spectrum where all those things just coalesce. But, you know, if you want to keep this conversation going, go ahead and follow me everywhere. You know how Al Gore's amazing internet works. Just find me at Hey Remso, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. Almost spelled my own name. What the fuck? Um, you can also find me on Parlor. I'm just at Remso. So if you ever see Remso 2 pop up, call that personal loser. As always, you're listening to On The Run. I'm Remso W. Martinez. Good night. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians network at wearelibertarians.com.